All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm uh, well, 72. If you want to turn there in your Bible, Psalm 72. This finishes up the second book of Psalms. There's five, uh, five books, and this will finish up the second one. We'll start the third book next week. Some things that are going on. Sorry, Aaron, I knew you were going to do that, and I missed it. Um, potluck today after second service. Join us for that. Come back. And next... Tea night, October 23rd, 6 to 9, board games, fun, 13 to 17, and dinner. And then the harvest party, October 31st. There's some sign-up sheets back there for uh, the potluck. Just to remind you that it is a potluck. Bring some food and then also some desserts and, and whatever else. But there's a sign-up sheet for that, and that way we know what we're getting. All right. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this psalm. As it's a father's prayer for his son to be a good leader. And we pray that you would help us understand this as we take notes, as we make mental uh, notes in our, and, 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 and receive everything you have for us from that first four verses, and especially that verse 17. God, I pray that these things would change our lives as we read your word, that your word would touch us in such a way that we'd hear and, and receive something new today from your Holy Spirit that um, we'd never seen before, maybe, or something that just moves us in a direction we just want what you have for us. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide through, through this section of Scripture and that you'd speak and help us to have hearts receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are taking notes, the first four verses are really, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. It talks about discernment. And then verse 17, um, it's, it's, it's most of the rest of the chapter, but 17, I think, uh, brings it all into one. It's it's the the idea that you know one day all nations will call Jesus blessed, but right now they don't, and that's just important to remember um, that it will happen one day. But right now it's just not there, and that helps us and guides us through navigating. I would say through what's right and wrong, and what am I supposed to believe, and what am I supposed to think? Because the church is having a hard time with that. I've noticed there's a lot of confusion in the church about. Um, where they should stand as far as self-worth or identity and all these things that are coming up culturally. And the church is adopting a lot of it, and it's wrong. Um, the Bible is very clear on these things. Uh, we don't have to be confused about these things, and we don't have to uh, wonder where we should stand. The Word of God tells us, and God tells us. Um, and so we'll focus a little bit on verse 17 as well. So this is David's psalm for Solomon. Um, his son. He's inaugurated him. They've made him king. Remember the story last week? They were having a difficult time with um, not Absalom this time, but the other son, Adonijah. He was trying to take over and rule and usurp David's authority. And um, their plan was then the, to, to counteract this coup was to just go ahead and, and make Solomon king. And so that's taken place now. And David is praying over his son. And I got to thinking how interesting it is as a father and as a mother, you do your best to protect your children from this world and you want to keep them from evil and you don't want evil to touch them. And you spend a lot of time and you realize, you know, and I think like David realizes, um, eventually they're going to have to be an influencer in this world. They're going to have to lead in this world and they're going to have to put up with a lot of evil. And so they need to be prepared for that. And, 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 the best way that you can prepare your kids for that is to let them know who they are and to pray for them. And so David offers this prayer for his son Solomon to prepare him for, well, what he's enduring. 
I mean, we've been reading 71 Psalms of David saying, you know, this king thing isn't exactly what it was cracked up to be. Not exactly what I thought was going to happen when the, when the sweet old prophet anointed me with oil and says, you're the leader. Well, everybody, well, you've won the lottery, basically. And he's like, I don't think that's the case anymore. And as excited as he was to make sure that Adonijah didn't get to be king because he doesn't have a good heart, Solomon did have a good card. He laid hands on Solomon. He's realizing what he's just given his son. Oh, you know, (laughs) congratulations. Welcome to, you know, being a leader. And it's not fun for the most part. And so he begins to pray, how do I equip my son for that? How do I prepare them for for this role, you know? And so David writes this beautiful psalm. Now, the first four verses are directed towards Solomon, but you'll notice in the pronouns begin to get capitalized in verse 5. And so David's psalm for his son, Solomon, changes to a messianic prophecy at verse 5. And he begins to speak of Jesus being the Lord. Now, it does apply to Solomon. He wants this for his son. But as he's praying, he begins to realize there's really only one true king And so he begins to pray for both at the same time. So verse one, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break the pieces, break in pieces the oppressor. And that's David's hope. David wants his son to be that kind of leader um, that doesn't allow corruption to get into his administration to where poor people suffer, the needy suffer, and that the rich get richer and the more powerful get more powerful. He wants to make sure that doesn't play, take place, that my, ki- my son is going to be a king of the people, you know, for everybody. Um, we hear a lot of promises. We're in election season right now, and there's a lot of there's a lot of promises, and it's rare to find someone who has a heart for everybody that are their constituents. You know, they're not there to make sure that they have the next, you know, four years, two years, depending on or six years, depending on which branch you're in. Um, they're actually concerned for for the amount of time that I'm in. I want to make sure that I represent everybody properly. With my values, of course, and that's why we vote for values is because that's what we ask for. We ask for that person to lead us by their values. And if their values don't line up with ours, then we don't vote for that person is the idea. But to find someone who has that kind of heart um, is rare. And so David is praying that for his son. God, I pray that you'd give him your judgments, that you'd give him that wisdom. What he's asking for in not so many words is discernment. I want you to have discernment. I want you to give my son discernment. The sermon is probably one of the most underutilized prayers or asks that we could ask God for um, in, in, in Christianity. I hear about it. We hear about the gift of discernment uh, um, and all, but it's, it's probably the most, in, not the most important, but I don't know. I, I guess I didn't, it doesn't have to be a, a level. Um, but when you ask God for discernment, that, that, uh, that impacts your health. You know, we pray for health, we pray for sickness, we pray for healing, those kind of things. But if I pray for discernment, I can do a lot of preventative measures by doing what the Lord leads me to do. I can pray for that. God, give me discernment about myself and about the world that I live in, the environment that I'm in, and how I should take care of myself. Give me discernment in that area. That'll take care of a lot of health. 
Give me discernment about money, Lord. I don't. I, I feel like I'm foolish with money. God, give me discernment. I feel like a child still. You know, uh, I still have a porcelain bank at home. You know that I've shaped like some sort of swine. You know, and I put this in my piggy. I need to grow up and and give me discernment about that. I don't want to know the world or the advisors or what they think. I want you to tell me what you think. And all of a sudden, your finances get straightened out because of discernment. You know. It goes on and on. This discernment is very important. He's asking because as a leader, I'm going to have to make decisions and judgments of other people. And I'm going to need to know things from God that maybe, not, that maybe aren't being presented in the court case. I'm going to have to know, I'm going to have to have words of wisdom, of a word of knowledge. Those are gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to have to have extra knowledge that you have, God, so that I can rightly judge. Here's the, you know, and it's not, a, it's not a mystery, but maybe saying it out loud helps. If God knows everything, and we believe he does, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we have the capability then, obviously, of knowing everything. I don't ever say that. I mean, I like to think I know everything. I know I don't. But at any given moment, the Holy Spirit can give me the right information, the correct information, the clear information, the truth of the situation. That's discernment. That's what David is asking for his son. And boy, did Solomon get it or what? Right? We know the story of the two women, you know, and their babies died or, or one died and one lived and all that. And, and you know the story about how he says, well, why don't you cut it in half? And that way you can each have a piece. And the true mom, of course, said, no, don't cut my baby in half. Give it to her. And that's how Solomon discerned that that was the real mother. We know the story. A um, little extreme. <laughs> but boy, on the spot... That'd be kind of hard. Well, I need to see some documentation. I mean, you know the usual drill we'd go through. I need paperwork from everybody. Those look forged. I don't know. And you could go through all the usual worldly stuff. And Solomon says, I don't have time for this. Just cut it in half. Don't cut it in half. Oh, there she is. And then moving on. Next case. Um, discernment. I pray for that all the time. I need it all the time. I need that as a father. I need that as a husband. I need that as a pastor. I need that as an agent. I need that as, I don't know what to call myself, cattle dude. I wouldn't call myself a rancher. I think that'd be an insult to ranchers, but I'm 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 a cattle pet owner. How's that? Maybe that's better. I need discernment. I know what the usual is. I know what the typical answers are. For the most part, we've asked for wisdom from the world and what's typical and what we, but we're different. And the way our house and our land runs, it's different. And so there's different things we have to do. There are some commonalities, but there are also some nuances that have to be taken into consideration. What are our goals? What do we, God, we need wisdom, you know? We need discernment. And so God is asking, or David is asking God for discernment for his son. Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, we don't have to turn there, but you can. It's 7 through 14. I won't read it all. He begins to tell God, first of all, in the first two verses, I know that I can't do this, which is humility. And then he gets to verse 9. He says, therefore, because I know I can't do this, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. And who was able to judge this great people of yours? Of course, God was pleased with that. And the rest of the scriptures go on to say, I'm so glad you asked me for that. That's the smartest prayer I've heard in a long time. I'm, you know, paraphrasing. And because you didn't ask for the typical health, long life, money, 
all the things that everybody always asks for, but you ask for discernment, I'm going to give you all the other stuff too. And I think there's a direct correlation to that. I don't think you need to ask for those other things. I think you can ask for discernment and those things get taken care of because of discernment. And so he asks for that. Now, God calls us to this. It's one of the most important prayers. We James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a, that's almost a command in the New Testament. So if I ask him for, now, the, the world and some Christians teach, you know, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll give it to you. And so they ask for the stuff. Name it and claim it. You know the drill. And I don't want to make fun of them too much, but it is ridiculous. James says, no, here's almost, it's, it's like, a, it's just a guarantee. You ask for wisdom from God and he will give it to you liberally. I like that word, you know, in this context anyway. I like that word, liberal, because that means they're just going to pour it on. You ever go to Olive Garden and the lady comes with the, the grated cheese, you know? I don't know if you know what this is. You go to the, you get your salad and they come and say, you tell me when, and they start grading the cheese. And I'm like, you better go get another block of cheese, lady, you know, because I like liberal cheese on my salad, you know. Um, God is liberal with it. What do you need? I need wisdom. I just keep pouring. I can answer that prayer, God says, safely. You're asking for smartness. I can give you smartness. I like that, you know? And so James says, ask for it if you lack. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply to your heart, or apply your heart to understanding, means you're focused. I want understanding. I want your commands. I want to listen to wisdom. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, as much as you seek silver, seek understanding and wisdom, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and, and find the knowledge of God. But that's, there's some diligence involved, right? There's some work. You know, we go to work, we try to get gold, we try to amass gold so to speak, in our bank accounts so that we can pay everybody we owe and all these things. He says, I want you to search for wisdom just as hard as you search for that. Oh. I think everything else falls into place when you begin to do that. Interesting quote from C.S. Lewis. He goes, it's, it's, it's useless to say you trust in Jesus, but don't take his advice. It's useless to trust in Jesus if you don't take his advice. James is saying, ask for wisdom. You trust in God, let him, let him lead and guide you in this. David is like, please, please, give my son wisdom. And finally, Philippians 1, and I, and this I pray, Paul says in verse 9, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That discernment, so important, he says. He, he lumps it in with that your love may abound with knowledge and discernment. We need it. Solomon needs it. He's going to have to know who's against him and who's for him, and he's not going to be able to go by their words. 
He's going to need discernment. David knows that from experience. Solomon's going to need to know what tomorrow is going to bring and learn from the past because surprises and traps and snares are going to await him, and David knows that. And Solomon's going to walk in wisdom. Solomon's going to run circles around him with his, with his mind because he has the mind of God. And that's what, he, that's what he hopes for. I just want a fair, just king, and I want my son to be a fair, just king. When we pray for discernment, don't even pray. For, not, not only should you pray for yourself, but I believe you should pray for our leaders to have discernment, wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, whatever you can pray for them. And it's not just with them. Pray for your governors. Pray for your leaders. You know, there's a difference between those who are entrusted and steward, given stewardship. And then there's also leaders in your life and things like that. I think you should pray for your parents if you're a kid. Well, well, we're all kids, but if your parents are still alive, pray for them. Give them wisdom, that God would give them wisdom and discernment, especially the, the younger kids. Um, parents need to pray for their children, just like David's praying here. I pray my kids have discernment. I'm not going to be there all the time for them. I'm not going to be able to guide them and give them answers. They're not going to be able to ask, ask me questions, you know. I pray for God to give them discernment so that as they're walking, the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding them and giving them the discernment between what's good and what's evil. I think you should pray for your spouses, that they'd have discernment. I mean, you want to be kind to them and love them and pray the best for them, but giving them, praying for God to give them wisdom and discernment in all that they do is one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse, is to pray for them in that direction, in that way. Verse 5, here's where he switches, it looks like, to Jesus. You can see the capital U, or capital Y in U. They shall fear you. He does mean Solomon, because it's hard to go against someone who's smarter than you, and so they're going to fear Solomon because he's so wise, but he is talking about Jesus. As long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations, well, that's someone else. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth in the days the righteous shall flourish or in his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more now we do know that solomon's reign was a peaceful reign but of course he's talking about everlasting peace he's talking about jesus here jesus is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh in the last days and has that happened in the book of acts we see this fulfillment and the holy spirit is supposed to bring that to us I mean, it's all connected if you can see where we're headed here. The Holy Spirit, it's, it's to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away, that I might send the helper to you, that he might come in you, live in you, dwell with you, right? So that you can have what? He's going to lead us and guide us into all truth. What is that? It's discernment. It's wisdom. That's knowledge. That's understanding. And he's done that. Verse 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the, and the isles, and, and of the isles, excuse me, will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? But in Solomon's day, he was, I mean, he was it. The kings would come. Because they heard about how much discernment he had. 
He had great wealth, and of course, that, that was amazing. And you, you remember when, when, the, when the queen came, when she, when she walks in, she goes, I, I wasn't told the half of how wise you were as, he looks around, as, they, as she looks around the kingdom. There's peace here, and there's so much gold, there shouldn't be peace. Most kings take the gold, and they lock it all up, and they put it all away, and they keep it in a dungeon, and they keep it in a safe or wherever they keep it, you know, safe for them, safe for the nation. He's got it spread all over the place. He's got the temple lined with it. He's got everything lined with it. Everything, everywhere you go, it's just gold, gold, gold. When they walked up to Jerusalem and they see that gold shining on, and the sun hits it just right, it was blinding as these kings come with their camels to bring these gifts. And they're saying, nobody, nobody, nobody shows it off. That's like, you know, nobody flashes cash like that. It's like just asking for it. And they're like, no, because it's for the people. Solomon never wanted to keep it for himself. It's just, hey, we're just really doing well here. And we all benefit from this. And it's just wisdom. And this queen comes in and she says, I wasn't even told the half. They're not coming because, well, for the usual reasons. They're coming because they've got questions. She had questions, deep questions. Every one of these kings and queens, all these leaders, they had all their soothsayers and the little bone rattlers or whatever they were little witch doctors and things like that, they collect them like Pokemon cards. They'd collect these little witches all around them. You're, you're, you're of this tribe and you do that thing. You've got dice and you've got bones and blood. That's kind of weird. And over here has got some guy, I don't know what he's doing, he's on his head. You know, they've got all these gurus around them so they can gather all this information, kind of, well, hedging their bets, basically. And none of these people can give them the answers they need. They're all left empty and hearing the same thing just in different ways from different people until they come to this man, Solomon, who has a deep, tight, close relationship with the living God. And they're like, that's what I've been. It's so simple. It's so pure. It's so amazing. It's completely changed me. The queen, all these leaders walk away different, you know, and everybody else looking for a job in their kingdom, you know. When people come up to us as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to have those answers. It doesn't come from us, but it does come from discernment. It comes from a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It comes from above. It comes from the Lord. And we're to have those answers, and we're to make it clear and plain and give a reason for the hope which lies within us. It's very clear. It's very simple. We should be able to see um, and people, when they talk to us, the, the, what's the right word? Um, the contradiction in their own life. If you ever talk to an atheist, I mean, that's one of the, the best things you can do is just show them the hypocrisy of their life. You know, I know you say that there's no God and that there's no truth and there's no anything, but you certainly rely on it in your life here, 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 and here. Now, why do you rely on it here, 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 and here in your life? Law, judgment, justice. But you don't want it for eternity, for, for forever, for, for universalism. You know, you, you just like it here in your compartmentalized life. This is okay to have justice here, but I hate God's justice over here. Just bringing that wisdom to the, oh, yeah. It doesn't quite line up because if I don't believe that God should be just and fair and have judgments and shouldn't have a hell and shouldn't, then I shouldn't believe in police, uh, prisons, none of these things. How can I say that this is okay? 
And I can't, you know, bringing them to those places and teaching them, coming to conclusions, at least blowing holes through their philosophies anyway. Anyway, Jesus is coming, and he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and it's going to happen, he says. It's a prophecy. One day it all happens, and he's excited for it. In Joel chapter 2, verses 27 through 29, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God's Spirit poured out, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Everybody's going to be able to do this. Everybody can do this. The Holy Spirit's there for all of us. King of Kings in First Timothy chapter six, verse fifteen, which He will manifest in His own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation seventeen fourteen. these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That's us. Revelation nineteen sixteen. and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. David is prophesying about, well, he's prophesying about the end. He's prophesying about Jesus returning on his white horse and conquering to conquer. He's going to have victory. Verse 12. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. I think that last part explains how that's all happening. Now, I think we should. Obviously, he's, he's very concerned for his son Solomon to take care of the needy and the poor, to not forget them. Don't look for the powerful, because the powerful are the kingmakers. You know, that's typical. You, know, you go to a fundraiser nowadays, not around here maybe, but national, $1,000 a plate or more now. $1,000 is probably a joke. That's the last time I looked into a fundraiser that I wanted to go to. $1,000 a plate which is fine, and I understand where you need the money. You can't run a campaign without it and all that. But the people that are able to attend those things are the ones that have thousands of dollars that they can spend on a campaign, you know. And that's fine, and I don't fault them for having that money. Don't get me wrong. The problem is when that is the only focus and the concerns in that room are the only concerns that they have as a politician. And that they're not concerned for the people that couldn't afford the plate, you know. David is praying for his son to be looking out for the needs of the poor and those who don't have anybody to help them. I want you. I want you. You know, I'm looking at you. I see you as a king. He wants that. Jesus, of course, doesn't need any money. When he throws parties, they're free. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's not $1,000 a plate. It's anybody and anyone that was willing to come and sit and eat until they can't eat anymore. You know, liberal with his food and his uh, hospitality. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I, I know he's talking about finances in this verse 12 through 14, but he is talking about the poor in the spirit because at the end here he says, precious shall be their blood in his sight. Not only should Solomon pay attention to the oppression and the victimization of the poor and the needy, he needs to pay attention to that. And that blood that shed should not be of just no consequence. It needs to be valuable to him. I can't believe that took place. I can't believe that injustice happened. That bothers me that if I'm going to make changes, you know, as an administrator, he needs to be able to do that. But Jesus, of course, does that too. He watches that blood being shed. And he's very interested in it. In Revelation 16, 6, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. Um, in that section of Scripture, 16, 17, and 18 of Revelation, the, the, the wrath of God is being stirred even more because of this blood of the saints. Revelation 17, 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. It's it's being seen. It's, it's affecting him. It's not being stopped. I noticed that. He's not intervening. Martyrs, it's not okay. It's very precious and it's very wrong what they're doing, but Jesus is taking them home as he's watching them. And there's a harvest, in a way, of evil taking place, and they're wiping out all the martyrs. And he's collecting them and bringing them up into heaven, and they're no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no sorrow. But he has not stopped with its judgment for those who are causing it. And that's one of the prayers that David is praying here. We see that. The blood of the, of the innocent, that's very precious. We have a lot of blood on our hands in our country. He hasn't stopped abortion or didn't stop abortion. It's still taking place and it's, it's going to even get worse, I'm afraid. I don't think we've won anything at all. I think it's moved. It's going to be more concentrated and more evil than you've ever seen before. It's always bothered me that the Supreme Court went this way. Not, not that I didn't want it to. I just thought, mm, this is inconsistent with the direction we were headed. This was too easy in a sense. This was too, something about it just didn't sit right. And now I see, you can begin to see the plan unfold. Fine. Federally fine. That leaves us states to do whatever we want. You've said that the states have rights. And so we as a state are going to do whatever we want to do. Federal be damned is the idea. We're going to see California come unhinged, and they are unhinged. Gavin Newsom is using satanic tactics. That's pretty strong. He's taking scripture and putting them on abortion signs all over the country. Who's the last person that twisted scripture to do evil. It's satanic. I mean, there's no way about it. There's no two ways of looking at it. It's demonic. And they are paying and allowing, and all these liberal companies are paying for their employees to fly there and get this thing done. Prop one is very interesting. You look at it. We can't do anything about it. It's California. They've got states' rights. But they will not look into any death of any babies up to 28 days born. Born. 
The first month of birth, if the baby dies within the first month, there's no questions asked, no wrongful death. So that's why when you hear them saying abortion all the way through infanticide after birth, we're like, that can't possibly be right. Well, and then they say, well, that's not what it says. Well, you say you're absolutely, there will be no criminal charges and no investigation, and you won't do anything about any death of any baby, any infant up to 28 days born. It's exactly what you're saying. You can do whatever you want to do. No one's going to ask you any questions. How did the baby drown? You can't ask me that. It's going to get ugly. The battle isn't over. God is watching the blood of the innocent and his wrath is being stirred. Finally, in Revelation 18, 24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. And then, of course, Revelation 19 takes place. Jesus returns on the horse and makes war. Precious shall be their blood in his sight, the poor and the needy. Verse 15, and he shall live. And the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. Well, we did that today, didn't we? Prayed and and worshipped. There will be an abundance of grain on the earth, on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. Everything's going to go well. Israel's prosperity does increase during Solomon's reign. It is an amazing time of uh, history, you know, in, in their history, a beautiful time. But also we see when Jesus rules and reigns, it will be that way. It's going to be amazing, um, a wonderful time. Now, verse 17, his name shall endure forever, Jesus. His name shall continue as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Or blessed. Well, that's not happening, is it? So we do know this is a prophecy about him. In fact, we see a lot of anger, a lot of, uh, well, they don't want to have anything to do with it. I, the, the only problem with this world, as far as the world is concerned, is conservative evangelical Christians. That's, that's the problem. Um, those who believe the Bible, they'll, you'll, they'll call, it used to be good to be a fundamentalist. You believe in the fundamentals. We've talked about that. But now it's a bad word. Are you a fundamentalist Christian? Well, we almost say, no, 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 because we no. they've changed the definition of that. But no, yeah, I'm absolutely a fundamentalist Christian. I believe in the fundamentals of Scripture, like I believe in the fundamentals of baseball or football or anything else. You have to have fundamentals in. There are basics that are absolute truths in Christianity. So yeah, I'm a fundamentalist, you know. That's an ugly thing. If we could just get rid of them, we'd be a blessed people. When Jesus comes back and rules and reigns, yeah, then, then they'll call him blessed. But until then, we have a world that is anti-Christ. Now, I don't know that the anti-Christ is born yet. Most say that he is. Probably 30 years old, they say at this time. I don't know how they know that. That's what they say. We won't ever know. We'll never see him. But he's on the rise, and the spirit of Antichrist, Paul says, is already here. So that's been going on since Jesus, the spirit of Antichrist. Sometimes people, and this is where I get to, Christians don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to believe about this topic or this social justice or injustice or, um, you know, the cultural topic of the day, whatever it might be. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about it. Well, just, I want, it's it's simple, I I think, for me. I mean, it's not... 
I do weigh out, weigh it out more than this, but the first my first red flag is is the world for it. That's a red flag for me because they're never for Jesus. They're never for truth. They may look like Christians saying it, but the the worldly influence is like, yeah, yeah, we like those Christians. They believe what we believe. You know, that's a red flag for me if the world is for it. And so I don't I don't necessarily throw it out right away, but I'm definitely looking at it. Um, is the world for it? And, and then I look at God's word, and does God's word say anything about it? You know, and if it does, well, the, the decision's pretty clear where we should stand on the on the issue. Um, we should stand on God's word, and we should understand that the world is not happy um, with with uh, God's plan, God's intentions, uh, where He's leading us. Um, the world wants us destroyed. The world wants us away from God. The world wants Christianity to be nothing more than a club um, where you get raided on Google, you know, kind of thing. Um, they want to be able to cancel you if possible, which you, you can't cancel the church, but they'll try. So until that happens, what do we do? I um, One of the things I see is uh, now currently going through the church is the idea that you're okay the way you are. And you have to be careful with that because God does accept us as broken sinners, but he doesn't want to leave us as broken sinners. Um, The scriptures tell us that we're being conformed into the image of Christ. So I get concerned when I see Christian memes, which I ironically spelled M-E-M-E, Mimi, um, begin to reflect a worldly idea covered by Scripture, they think, but not the entirety of Scripture. For example, um, I'm okay. Um, I'm, I'm a hot mess, and I'm okay with that now. You know, I see that a lot. Well, no. I mean, God loves you, yeah, but he doesn't want to leave you a hot mess. I don't want you there. See, uh, the things that God shows me, and and I understand what they're getting at. What happens is, and I I think it becomes, um, I'm going to make up a a phrase now, and you can throw it out if you want to, because I'm making it up on the spot, but almost like righteousness fatigue. As a Christian, I'm constantly uh, under the pressure of being better or more than I am. And so there comes this place, and I can see it happening in Christendom. They're just like, I'm just tired. I wake up, and I'm a sinner still. I'm just, I just... You know, I need a break from trying to be better, you know, trying to work on myself all the time. And, and so, I'm, and so there, here comes this movement in the church. You're okay the way you are. And all of a sudden, but briefly, but for a moment is all it is. There's a release and a relief. Okay. I'm okay exactly the way I am. Oh, that's wonderful. Until, until you have to start dealing with the consequences of who you are. Until you do something again that causes more problems in someone else's life or more problems in your own life, and it's not so easy to say, I'm okay the way I am. No, you're not. We have, we've purchased the movie Little Women. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie, but there's one line in this movie, and everybody's got to make a book into a movie. I don't know what it is. There's one line that always bothered me, and Joe had said, yeah, my family placed a lot of emphasis on one's perfecting oneself. 
And it always bothered me when I watched that movie, and I'd let it go because like, I enjoy the entertainment of the movie or whatever, and always isn't that funny and cute and all that. But a line always stuck in my head. My family always uh, took great care to perfect oneself. It was almost like she was saying, I'm tired of trying to be better. You know, just need to be the way I am kind of thing. If Satan can't get us bowing down and worshiping him, his next best thing is for us to stop being conformed into the image of Christ. If I could just stop the church from trying to be conformed into the image of Christ, if I can get them to stop letting that Holy Spirit, that pain in my rumpus, Satan would say, to stop working in their lives and changing them and conforming them and making them better, I got it, I'll make memes that say everybody's okay right where they're at, no need to progress any further, no need to look for a city that's made without hands, you know, that perfect new, you know, there's no reason. And now he's got us trapped in our sin, and we constantly have to remind ourselves we're okay. It's okay that we're sinners. It's okay that we're sinners. It's okay. It's not okay. We need to be changed and transformed. And so when I see the world doing this, and I don't mean to springboard too much in verse 17, but it bothers me. Not all nations think Jesus is a blessing. And not all Christians think Jesus in their life is a blessing either because he brings what? Conviction. We're desperately trying to silence that conviction to let ourselves be that. These things that God shows us in our life is not to be mean or to show us and to keep us down and to make us think that we're less and we're never going to amount to anything, you worthless scumballs, you know. No. They're symptoms of sin. You've got sin in your life, and the, and the sin is manifesting itself in these symptoms. And I'm showing you these symptoms and bringing conviction so you can realize you've got an issue we need to deal with in your life. I'm trying to show you your brokenness that I want to touch. I'm not doing it because I just don't like your behavior. I'm showing you your behavior is showing sin in your life, brokenness that I want to get at and touch. You know? That's the problem, I think, with psychology and psychiatry. Psychology and psychiatry that are without God have a standard that they're trying to get people to in the counseling, and it's the person counseling. This is it. I'm healthy. You're unhealthy. If I can get you mentally healthy at my level, most people go into psychology and psychiatry because they don't know themselves and don't understand themselves, and they go to class to try to figure out who they are. What is the id, ego, and superego, or id, super id? I don't remember what they were. I went to those classes. The requirement, psychology. And so the world is trying to say and trying to get this level And Satan is fine with that level. Yeah, just be there and stop. And he wants to take us beyond. He wants to give us discernment, wisdom, knowledge, discipline, purity, holiness. How can you have that meme in your life and say, be holy for I am holy? They do not mesh. We have to be careful what creeps in as grace. And it's not. It's deception. That keeps us where we are. Verse 18. David finishes up well. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be 
his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. Amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is the end of book two. We're going to take some time and have communion this morning. A time where we remember that Jesus didn't die on the cross because we were okay. He died on the cross because we weren't. He died on the cross because he wanted to spend forever with us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted us to be accepted by him, but then also conformed into his image. Pick up your cross and follow me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. So on. It goes on and on. He is the level. When you bring a counselor into your life as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is your counselor, that's the level. That's mental health. That's spiritual health. That's emotional health is where Jesus is. That's when we're healed, when we're there. And to stop that process anywhere along the lines, I think is, well, it's just detrimental to to our own good. And so as we hold this bread and this juice in our hand, this is one of the, uh, I'll go along with the same theme, therapies that Jesus gives us to remind us that, no, you're not perfect, but I am. And I've already imputed my righteousness to you so that you can let go of the guilt and the shame of all of your sin. I paid for all of it. You're going to heaven. But now, let me affect every area of your life as you Eat this bread, and like this bread gets consumed and digested and moves to every cell in your body in some way or another, and like this juice, as you drink it, affects you in every way and touches every cell in your body. Let me, as Jesus, your son, your your Savior, touch you in every area of your life and bring complete healing to you. Don't ignore your sin. Don't ignore your convictions. Let those things show you the symptoms, the, the deeper problem, and let God work there. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this juice. We thank you for your love for us. You love us so much, you're not willing to stamp us healed. You will will stamp us forgiven. But that you want to go on from there and continue a relationship with us and conform us into your image. And this morning, we want to let you do that. Forgive us if we've stopped. If for some reason we just were tired of righteousness and just wanted to be left alone. God, we we open our hearts to you again. We open our minds to you again, and we desire you desperately to touch us and to continue to do that work in us, God. To make us whole from the inside out, God. That's our heart. We thank you for the promises in your word that declare that's what you want to do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you keep your word in our hearts. We pray that there be no birds that could snatch it away from us and it would not be able then to bear root, to bear fruit. We want that in our lives. So God, help us to just completely absorb your word today and and let it do its work that it does. It always accomplishes what it was set out to do, and we pray that it would today. Thank you for bringing conviction into our lives. Thank you for showing us our need for you continually, not just for salvation, but for, for being conformed. And we pray that you'd help us to listen to, your, listen to you as our counselor, 
to trust you enough to take your advice, God, to do what you've called us to do, knowing that it's for our betterment. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen.